just have to trust that God is ultimately in control. So you have that eternal perspective, you have trust in God, and one thing you can take to the bank is Romans 8:28, and we put this in the book, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. that you have to trust that God is always at work. He knows exactly the number of hairs on your head. He is weaving and crafting your story into his story. That's what history is all about. It's his story. So David and Jason, welcome to the Charisma Podcast Network. Hey, thanks for having us, man. Good to be on with you. So it's a great book, and so most people in my position ask this question first. Why did you write this book about the miracle in Shreveport? Well, this is David speaking. I'm the older brother. We're identical twins. We both played pro baseball, but before we even get to the end of that, the beginning of our dream started when we were five years old. We were the sons of a pastor, so we would have a vacation every July for one week. We would travel from Dallas, Texas. This is where our church was, all the way up to Atlanta, Georgia, And three hours outside of Dallas was a little town called Shreveport. And right off of I-20, there was a stadium called the Shreveport Captain's Stadium. It was Uh at Fairgrounds Field. and and been there. We would always leave. Oh, you've been there. Yes. I grew up in New Orleans, so so I got around Louisiana uh, quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Well, they were the double-A baseball affiliate Mm -hmm. for the San Francisco Giants. Right. And we would stack up in our 1979 Ice Blue Caprice Classic station wagon. And we would drive as a family early, early in the wee hours of the morning. And usually around 7.30, 8 a.m., we would be passing Shreveport. And Dad would reach back and wake me and Jason up in the back seat. And he'd say, hey, guys, look at that baseball stadium. Now, when we were kids, seeing a stadium that size off of the interstate as we're passing it, heading to vacation, it looked like Yankee Stadium to us. Mm -hmm. And he said, let's pray one day that you guys get to play in that stadium on the same team. Wow. At the same time. And so he would just whisper a prayer, Lord Jesus, I pray one day my boys would get to play in that stadium one day on the same team at the same time. You know, we did that every year on the way to Atlanta and on the way back from Atlanta. And on the way back, it was usually in the evening, the lights would be on, but we would never stop because we would just simply pray, Lord, I pray one day we'd get to play in that stadium together at the same time. I love the prayers of a father, especially a prayer about baseball. I like your father. Exactly right. And, you know, and our dad would, he was our baseball coach. And that was a dream of ours, always to play pro baseball, but specifically to play in that stadium because that was something that our dad had really kind of burst into us. Mm-hmm. We signed baseball scholarships out of high school to play at Liberty University. Really? You went to Liberty? There you go, yeah. That's and great. we went 94 to 98. And those four years, of course, when we drive from Dallas, Texas to Liberty, we would head up to Atlanta, and we would always pass to Shreveport Captain Stadium right there in Shreveport off of I-20. And Jason and I would pray together now. Our dad wasn't there, but we would pray that same prayer together. And then Mm -hmm. at the end of college, I got drafted by the Red Sox. Jason was drafted by a lesser organization called the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know if you've heard of them. Oh, no. Do do they still play baseball in Baltimore? (laughs) No, they do. I think they do still. I didn't know. I haven't heard from him in a few years. But then I got traded, this is David again speaking, I got traded over to St. Louis mm-hmm. uh, in 99, oh, which I was amazing. I know, it was great for my career. Yeah, it was really fun. The first season I was there, I was in Major League Spring Training with McGuire and all those guys. It was, mm-hmm. it was very fun. But anyway, Jason, on the other hand, 
while my career was taking off, getting traded to the St. Louis Cardinals, his career had ended because he broke his leg in half, covering first base on a wheel play against the Hickory Crawdads, who mm-hmm. that was the Pirates farm team. And yes. Anyway, he ended up rehabbing only to get released again the next season. And so his career was over. And really, for the most part, that whole dream and all of those years of us praying about Shreveport, it was over. Mm-hmm. And then I called Jason. I had two weeks left of my season. I was playing in Little Rock, the AA affiliate for the St. Louis Cardinals, in the year 2000. Which is now in Springfield. Yeah, which is now in Springfield, exactly. They left Little Rock, went to New Haven, and then shifted over to Springfield. Mm -hmm. So uh, I convinced him to come and watch me play. Now, I'm not going to give the rest of the book. But he comes one night, and he's wearing his flip-flops and his shorts. He had spent the last three and a half months out of baseball, his heart was completely broken because, I mean, the dream that we had to play in Shreveport together was over. Sure. The next night after he comes, he's watching me that night in the stands. The next night, he's suited up in a uniform on my team, which you got to read the book to see how that happened. But the story doesn't end there because we ended up playing against the El Paso Diablos, and they had a lefty, big, tall lefty throwing a no-hitter in the sixth inning. The stadium was packed, and our manager called Jason to pinch hit. Now, he hadn't seen a live pitch in over three and a half months. Mm-hmm. And Jason gets up and breaks up a no-hitter. It was amazing. I, I mean, it. all the details around this were supernatural. Sure. But the most important detail was when we come back in the night after Jason breaks up that no-hitter in Little Rock. We had four games of the season left. We're all in the clubhouse about to hit the spread, and the manager walks in and says, guys, everybody show up to the field tomorrow at 9 a.m. because Shreveport's a three-hour drive down the road. (laughs) Now, I had moved up to AA late in the season, so I hadn't even looked at the schedule. Neither did Jason. We had no idea we were going to be playing in Shreveport together. Mm -hmm. We get to Shreveport. Jason and I, instead of going to the hotel with the team, we went right to the stadium. We snuck out there into the stadium because it wasn't even open yet. And the players' entrance was open, so we were able to go straight to center field. We had never even been there. All those years of praying with our dad and praying together, we never pulled in to go to the stadium because we wanted to be there together when we were playing. We went right out to center field, and we dropped to our knees and thanked God, and we're just overwhelmed with how God was working behind the scenes. And when we got up to turn around to walk back to the dugout, our dad was in the upper deck. He had snuck in somehow behind us. And we didn't know he was there, and he had his hands up in the air, tears streaming down his face. Oh. And he came down, and he said, boys, let me tell you, God is always at work. He's working behind the scenes even when you can't see him. You just be faithful and let God handle the rest. And so this story, Miracle in Shreveport, is a supernatural story of God's faithfulness, of how our faith intersected with his faithfulness. And a 20-year journey that we thought was dead multiple times had come back to life and that God was behind the scenes putting it all together. Well, what a great story. But, you know, as an older guy, some might call me a geezer, I look at your ball career. First of all, I didn't hear from you what positions you played. That's important. Well, Jason, I played infield. I was a third base, and I played a little bit of second base, actually. That was what I was playing when I broke my leg. And mm-hmm. David was a catcher. I like to say he needed a mask. Yes, they wanted course. him to put a mask on his face. And after you've caught for a few years, you really need a mask to cover all the scars. That's right. Totally. So, David, how much older are you than Jason? Of course, I'm two minutes older. Two minutes. And a heck of a lot better looking and a half inch taller. What wisdom. And I hear the love between you two that twins tend to have, too. Yeah. 
You know, in the Bible, the older always serves the younger. Yes, of course. In, in most cases. That's right. <laughs> Unless you Esau or something, you know, Jacob. But what I want to understand is what you've learned and how you've applied baseball lessons to what you teach your own family, what you teach other young men, young women. How have you taken your faith with you out of baseball? Well, I'll tell you this. This is Jason speaking. When I was in pro ball and I broke my leg, I remember having to lay there on the baseball field, and it was so bad that the ambulance had to be called, and he wheeled me off right there. The ambulance drove onto the field, and while I was there— Fans love that, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you home or away? It was an away game, actually. Yes. And so while I was laying there, I had to die to the game because the only thing that crossed through my mind at that point was I just want to walk again. Yes. You know, if, if I can't ever play the game of baseball. And, and I, you know, I thought about Shreveport. I thought about playing in that stadium with David that, you know what, I'm not going to get to do it. But I got to play a little professional baseball, and that's okay. And, and so I had to die to the dream that night and just before I went into surgery and of course, a year later, I was able to rehab, but then 60 games into the 2000 season, I got released. So I had to die to it again. Well, that's inconsiderate to release someone oh, like yeah. you. <laughs> but you know what I learned? What I learned from that was that when God puts something into your hand, you have to die to it. You have to hold it with an open hand. And when we say you die to your dream, what we're saying is you release the results in your heart to God. That in your heart you stay dead to it, but you can still pursue it with your feet. You still got to move toward it, but you're allowing God to pivot you one direction or the next, whichever way He sees fit to move you. And so, by the time I was in that stand watching David play with the Cardinals in Double A, and I was there in my shorts and T-shirt, I was already dead to the game of baseball, and I wanted to stay dead to the game of baseball. But you know what? God had a different plan, and I saw through that that oftentimes when you have a dream, it's the birth of a dream the death of a dream, and then the fulfillment of a dream. And then when you fulfill it, it might not look exactly like it looked when it was first burst in your heart. That's right. That was a lesson that we took from the game of baseball, and we share that in detail in our book. That's great. So let's be specific that there are people listening to this podcast right now that their dreams have been deferred. Maybe their hope has been deferred. They no longer believe that their dreams can come true, that God doesn't answer our dreams. He answers our prayers. But obviously, you've learned that prayers and dreams are very similar and they're very close. So tell me how you would advise someone who's listening now that have unfulfilled dreams. Well, this is David speaking. Number one, we always say that you have to trust that God is always at work. He knows exactly the number of hairs on your head. He is weaving and crafting your story into his story. That's what history is all about. It's his story. Right. That you can trust him. Things might not work out exactly like you planned or exactly like you thought about or exactly as the dream that you had maybe when you were younger or whatever, but God is faithfully at work, and you can trust him. And he's behind the scenes putting all the pieces together. The second thing is to always have an eternal perspective, because oftentimes a dream that we have for ourselves, God may have that for our children, or our children's children, or for when we get to heaven in eternity one day. You know, David had a dream to build the temple. He really wanted to do it, but the Lord said, no, that is for your son to do. And David had to be okay with that. And because he loved God, he had an eternal perspective. He wasn't bound just to the here and the now. One thing that baseball taught us was to leave the results to God, because you can't control when you get called up to the big leagues. I mean, you know baseball. 
some of the best baseball players probably that ever were never even made it to the big leagues because they just didn't get the chance. The window of opportunity wasn't just right for them, or they were the backup behind a Hall of Famer or whatever. And so you just have to trust that God is ultimately in control. So you have that eternal perspective. You have trust in God. And one thing you can take to the bank is Romans 8.28, and we put this in the book. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. You know what all things mean? All things. Pretty much all. That's the Greek interpretation of all. Yes. That's right. Even the difficult things. I've done a lot of pastoral work in my career and my life. And to someone who has a hope deferred, that verse doesn't do much for them because they've heard it so many times. I'm asking you to be real with our listeners. I love the scripture. I preach it and I believe it. And I believe that verse. But sometimes people can't cope with it. It's the turnkey scripture of the day. It's this word that I say and I believe. But there's got to be a deeper level that we get to. We read the scripture, we memorize it, we hide it in our heart. What's the next step that the average person must take after believing Scripture, believing that God loves them and will give them their heart's desire? What's the next step? Well, the next step is to actually act in faith. Yes, that now you got it. Action precedes motivation. And what right. we say That's is, good. it's like whenever I got married, this is Jason speaking, whenever I got married, I now gained a brand new identity. I was one with my wife, but it took time for my brain to catch up with my new identity. Mm-hmm. You see, when Christ sets us free, It takes time for us to begin to feel free. And the way that we begin to feel free is to act like we're free. It's to go out there and actually act on the basis of our new identity. So when you've had a hope deferred and your heart's sick, and yet you know what the truth is, the way to get out of that despondency is to act on that truth. It's to put a smile on your face. You know, a cheerful look makes the heart glad. It's on the outside, begin to act like you're happy, trusting that God will then change you on the inside. And God will do that because you're acting in the truth. So it's acting in faith. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes, guys. I want to make sure I hear this from you. Do you both have children? Are you raising boys? Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. This is David. I've got five. I have three boys, an 18- and a 16-year-old boy, and then an 8-year-old boy. And Jason also has two boys. He's got a 16-year-old boy and a 12-year-old boy. You've almost got your own team. That's right. We do. We have a co-ed team of nine. That's great. So I want to hear what you're passing on to them. This will be our last question because of time. But what are you passing on to them in this area of faith and believing? And, you know, the dreams of young people as they bring them to you. How did you pass on some of your life stories that your dad taught you? Well, leadership is the ability to create an appetite in those who follow you. And that's out of Proverbs 22, where it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. And that Hebrew word train up means to touch the palate of or to cultivate a taste for. So the the Hebrew mothers would chew up carrot or celery and then take it out of their mouth and put it on the tip of their finger and touch the palate of their infant, and that would engage the salivary glands and cultivate an appetite for that food. That's the same word that Solomon used there in that particular passage. And when our dad was our coach and when our dad was sowing into us, he was touching our palate with the fact that he was willing to invest in our lives. But another thing that he touched our palate with was every day when we woke up, we saw our dad either reading the Bible or on his knees in prayer. And we knew that that really meant something to him. So we do the same thing in our home. We're doing our best to touch the palate of our children with the Word of God, with prayer, with the fact that we're going to sow into their lives by coaching their teams and by being at their games and by listening to them when they need us. And we're doing our dead-level best to do that and because in our own personal lives, as we're raising our kids, but as we look back to our mom and our dad, 
we really have an appetite for the things of God because of what both of our parents, how we saw them. They, they actually touched our palates, our spiritual palates, with the lives that they lived. Those are great words and really good coaching for our listeners. And I love the concept of the appetite. I haven't heard it said that way. It's brilliant. I love it. So uh, I want our folks to be able to get a hold of your book, Miracle in Shreveport. They can find it at BenhamBooks.com, B-E-N-H-A-M Books.com, or I'm sure it's on Amazon and regular booksellers. It's actually BenhamBrothers.com. I'm sorry. sorry. All of our books are on that site. BenhamBrothers.com. I'm sorry, guys. No, don't apologize, but our books are there. Okay, good. And on Amazon? Yes, sir, and on Amazon. Anywhere else books are sold. You've got all your books up there. I want to read more from you, and I want to tell you that I hate to end this podcast. There's so much more I wanted to get into and talk to you about. So we've got to do this again and hear from you again. I know you've got new books coming. So let's be sure and talk again as you release your next book. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Uh, It's my honor. You guys are full of wisdom and great books. And I hate to ask this last question, but I'm going to do it anyway. Who has the best athletes in the house? Jason, of course I do. Of course. (laughs) I'm so proud of you, Jason. It's because you're the youngest and you're blessed. Uh, That's exactly right. (laughs) We've been visiting with David and Jason Benham. Their website is BenhamBrothers.com. All their books are there. Especially take a look for this newest one that they've released, Miracle in Shreveport. You've been listening to Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. God bless you all. The horrible truth is that children are being bought and sold for sex in the United States every minute of every day. But people of faith are mobilizing to stop this nightmare, starting in their own communities. The Shared Hope International Just Faith Summit is a three-day conference hosted at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota, June 20th through the 22nd. Join with like-minded individuals who share your passion for justice and your commitment to end the sexual exploitation of children and youth. This interactive event is designed to equip, connect, and inspire people of faith. To learn more about the issue of human trafficking and what individuals and communities can do to stop this horrific crime, visit JustFaithSummit.org to find out more and to register now. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.